What do you think the perception of the wider community is with you? I've definitely got detractors out there, just fair enough. I don't expect everybody to agree with my points of view or the arguments that are put up, and I don't mind that. And I don't mind participating in meaningful debate with people. I don't, I don't mind having a conversation with people who disagree with me. As long as we can stick to the facts and the, the topics of the debate and, and not slump into gutter trash and name-calling and, and that sort of thing. And I think it's really important, particularly with Indigenous issues, that we get the opportunity to have discussions about all of these issues. That are, I believe there's this notion that if you're an Aboriginal person, you have to think in a particular way. You have to agree with the mob and mob rule. And if you don't, you're often vilified for it, which is what, you know, I experience. And I've got a, I know that I've got a hell of a lot of support out there from people of all different backgrounds. And I know a lot of um, Aboriginal people who come to me privately in support of me, but who are far too scared to voice their opinions publicly because one, they see the sort of backlash that I receive, two, because their own relationships could be affected with their own family members, their, their own family members uh, are likely to lash out at them. And there is very real chance that some people might also receive violent backlash from those that are close to them or even the wider community if they speak up about some of the really sensitive issues that, you know, that I, that I address. Uh, but I think it's really important that we have the opportunity to tackle these issues from a variety of different opinions and be challenged. I think it's really important. We can't progress forward without that taking place, you know, and, and there, I know there are a lot of Aboriginal people out there who, who say, you know, this needs to be challenged and that needs to be challenged and, oh, but I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. But more of us need to be able to step forward and do that. Well, what's sort of given you that drive? I guess, you know, look, all my life I've, I guess I'm one of these lucky individuals who I didn't really care about what other people thought of me and, I, you know, I would, I would speak my mind. And what others say about me, you know, I don't make it my business. It's, it's how they feel and it often reflects um, upon the individual themselves as opposed to it doesn't reflect on me as far as I'm concerned. But I think growing up and seeing, seeing so much suffering in my own family and being told that because I'm an Aboriginal woman, I have to be silent on particular issues or, or being told to be silent because it might then cause offence toward, you know, people who have perpetrated violence and people who have bullied people that I love. And there's a level of that bullying that goes on so that people do stay silent. I've seen that all my life and I've, I've had enough of it and I, I can't allow myself. I'm complicit if I don't speak up. And, you know, have, when you bury family member after family member after family member because of violence, that's because of family feuds and payback and that sort of thing, when you continue to do that but you don't do anything different to stop it, you become part of the problem. And I, and I can't stand back and be that anymore. And, you know, because we grow, we've grown up, well, I've grown up in a very open, mixed society understand that there's other ways of being able to do things and then being told that, you know, I belong to this culture, which there are, don't get me wrong, there are wonderful, beautiful aspects that I love about, you know, my Warburg culture, but there are parts of it that I completely disagree with. And why 
can't we as Aboriginal people say, okay, this bit of our culture, that's not working for us anymore. We've got to change that if we want to see change. That is not encouraged. We're not encouraged to do those sorts of things, to challenge ourselves, to ask questions. You know, we're told we've been doing things now for over 60,000 years. We can't change it. It's just how it is. Well, we're human too, you know. We don't have to be defined entirely by our culture. We're human because sometimes if we don't start to think for ourselves and make our own decisions and challenge those parts of our culture that aren't working for us, you know, we end up falling behind. We end up not surviving and thriving in life. And I can't, you know, I've seen that much suffering. I can't allow for that to happen anymore. Like, I don't think it's right, you know, if, if... it, what every way if if your child dies when you're a mother, you have to get punished with a beating. I don't agree with that. If a mother loses her child, why should she have to suffer more? She's already lost her child. Why should she then have to be punished for it violently, physically? Like that doesn't work for me, and and it shouldn't have to work because it's a denial of human rights in a, in a wider context and. When it comes to Aboriginal issues, we always talk about human rights, but we don't talk about when they're affected within our culture. We've been balanced, you know. We've grown up with black and white, and that's mm-hmm. how I've always see, seen the world. Um, and, you know, we're, we're privileged to, to even be having this discussion, right? Um, we've mm-hmm. got an awareness that a lot of other individuals don't have the luxury of having. So I, I'm just sort mm-hmm. of curious with the essence of what we're talking about too, though, it's... It's really about the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is well. We look. We need to look at the colonial frontier, right? So, how do you view history in that sense? How do I view history in that sense? Well, look, I, I recognise that our history, like the history of many human beings around the world, is violence. Uh, there's been inhumane treatment, you know, of of indigenous people right around the world. You know, there's been human suffering in our world history, and and most definitely for us and as indigenous Australians, it's a lot more recent. You know, there's still human suffering going in in West Papua. You know, there's, there's those black lives are currently undergoing living through a genocide right now at this moment. And as far as I know, in our country's history. Horrible things, bad things happened. And we have, we did, our people uh, were able to adapt and move forward. You know, like our grandfathers were both part of the army. Your grandfather fought over in Borneo. Mm. My grandfather was a labourer who helped build these streets here in Alice Springs. And they adapted to the world around them because life before that was really bloody hard. And if you didn't adapt, then you didn't survive, you didn't thrive. And throughout our history, we've made changes. I mean, as a nation, we've slowly made changes. You know, I, we, our mob have gone through the suffering that they've gone through. My, my Korea ancestors on the other side, they were completely dispossessed of their country, brought over in chains, and never to return to their country as well. You know, they, the wrong thing was done by them. But we've recognised all of these things that, that have happened in our country's history. And sure, we still need to learn more about it, about all of it, including the, you know, the, the wonderful things that happen, the love that's between Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people, like you and I are the result of that. And, but also, you know, I don't believe we, ha- we live in a, ra- in a racist country. The referendum that took place tells me that the vast majority of Australians accept 
and the, the fact that Aboriginal people are just as important as everybody else. I think the media certainly has a lot to do with creating racial divide in this country. There's individuals who are in privileged positions that want to maintain that divide because if that divide doesn't exist, their funding doesn't exist, their, their jobs don't exist either. It's convenient to run with that narrative than it is to point out, you know, turn around, put a mirror on ourselves and say, OK, well, what's going on with us in our own backyards? What can we change to improve our lives, our family lives and that sort of thing? Because I don't believe that racism is killing our mob. Well, what do you suggest as a solution? Because I look at it like we've been fortunate. We've grown up with connection with culture and, you know, connection with our Western heritage too. So, you know, like the impacts of not being recognised in the Constitution, how do you think that informs other Indigenous people and who, who might be angry? I don't necessarily think not being recognised has a huge impact in comparison to the things that are impacting people's lives directly on a daily basis. I mean, I'm happy for, you know, some form of recognition to take place, but I don't think it's going to wave a magic wand and suddenly all our issues will disappear. You know, as as you mentioned, uh, you and I, we we understand Kariaway and Yapaway, that's how we've been brought up and we are privileged to have that. And to me, that is what real reconciliation is about. I mean, we've been brought up in the love of both those sides, but what continually gets promoted is the negativity and the anger and the divide. And let's face it, we're, we're, li- we're living in a time of globalisation, whether we like it or not. You know, we can't kick all the karia out of this country and say, right, we want things to go back the way they are. That's never going to happen that way. But the, the tools now to survive aren't what they used to be for us mob. And we need to understand what tools one needs to learn to become successful. And obviously, education is definitely one of the most important tools in order to be able to do that. Because then, if you have an education, uh, you know how to take advantage of those tools that are available in the modern world in order to survive and to thrive. I think welfare is a huge problem. It is far more bigger a problem than what this idea of racism is. Welfare, it creates idle hands. You know, our mob worked hard to survive, constantly working to survive, and suddenly you stop and you have everything handed to you. It takes away your agency. It takes away your feeling of self-worth to be able to provide for your own family. It is, welfare is a killer. Education is a tool, is is a wonderful tool. It also allows you to understand that you've got choice. You've got choice. You're not... You don't have to be trapped in a particular way of thinking. You can broaden the way in which you think. But welfare is definitely not helpful. And, you know, if you consider that providing for our family and, and survival and going out and hunting and doing all those things that we used to do uh, was the job you had to do for your family, well, then, you know, jobs matter in that regard. It brings about one's ability to, to provide for their family again. And, and unfortunately... You know, I don't think there are, I think there are a number of factors that stop jobs from happening in remote communities. And I think also it comes down to the way we cannot, you know, get access to our own country to create private enterprise, which can create jobs, which can have people running their own businesses in their own communities and that sort of thing and taking control of their own lives.
Yeah, well, this is the thing I've been really thinking on, is that a lot of families are still in survival mode. They're thinking about their next move. They're not thinking for the bigger picture, where we can see that an external perspective too and go, this is the bigger picture. But when we see families, they're only thinking about their, their next move, you know? So how do we instill the value of education into families and community members? Well, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had with immediate families. You know, like I've always argued that it needs to be incorporated into, like, obviously, you know, I don't expect us to completely throw away our culture. I, I, that's not an expectation I have. That's not a demand that I make. But what the conversations that need to be had are what's working for us and what isn't working for us. And how can we, you know, we look to culture, we look to uh, the elders in our communities for guidance and that sort of thing. And I've always thought that education should still be considered something that's important to young men when they go through, you know, their, their manhood through the initiation process. I feel as though our mob should be able to, well, let's make that part of it, you know, finish your year 12 and then go through the process or ensure that that's part of, that's incorporated into culture because that is one of the most important uh, tools. You know, obviously in traditional terms, AMOG would go out and learn all about the country and how to survive off it. That was the education. So now the education has changed. It's about learning about the wider world and taking advantage of that. And so there are the sorts of conversations that need to need to happen. And, you know, and people are having those. There are groups that, you know, are saying, no, education is really important for our young ones and uh, supporting them to go through it. I mean, it was just, I think I saw a, a, a post on Facebook where a young, young old fella, he just graduated from the police uh, up north, but he was, previously to that, he just graduated from Scott's College in Sydney. You know, he, he was able to go out, get an education, learn about the outside world and, you know, how to, how to improve his life and help improve the lives, and by that, improve the lives of his family, go back to his community, get a, you know, job as a police officer and he's improving his life and his world and extending that to his family and he becomes a role model. And we need to encourage more of that as opposed to encouraging the victim mentality. Because when people believe they're victims to someone else, they hand over their power to that other. And they no longer have agency. And and if everyone else around them is telling them, you know, we are a poor thing, you're, you're a victim, you're not capable of standing on your own two feet, taking control of your life and creating something better with it. And that's what they're going to believe. So with communities and, you know, looking at employment, why do you think there isn't an, an exchange of passing on knowledge in terms of employment? There, there seems to be funding available, but there aren't these younger ones coming up through the ranks, you know, in, in certain jobs that might be available. Yeah, I guess, again, it's, it's because, well, there's a number of factors. Like when it comes to welfare and Centrelink payments, why, why would you want to work if you can just get your money for free? Uh, there's also the added pressure of, you know, family. You've got to, when it's payday, family come knocking on your door and why would you want a job if you're just going to hand over your all your money to family? I mean, my family think I'm really tough because I don't just hand over all my money, but I've got to make sure that all my sons are going to school and I've got to pay my bills and that sort of thing. And that's another aspect, I think, of our culture that we have to 
we evaluate, which is, you know, should we be leaning on other family for their money and their income? Should we just leave them alone and try to stand on our own two feet? Like that's another thing that we've got to consider. And I think, you know, in general in Australia, trades are dying out. Well, they're not dying out. The, the number of tradies coming through just aren't there. But I think the trade industry would be a great industry, particularly for our young men to get in, involved with. And I don't think there's enough opportunity going on in remote communities, you know. I mean, this is something that's talked about quite often, is that we get we pay for outside services to come into the communities and, and they charge a lot of money to carry out services that if our mob got skills with, they could be carrying out those services and running in their own businesses and communities. But I find that, you know, when I've spoken to Aboriginal people who wanted to set up businesses and go into partnership with private enterprise on their communities, the process to get a, a Section 19 lease is... Uh, is strung out over years and years and years and eventually they give up on that idea. So in many ways I see land councils hindering those processes unless it's something that they're delivering. There's a definite reluctance to open up availability of land. Like people can't even access their own country to start up businesses even if they wanted to. And, you know, I don't expect that businesses would get up and running and take off like everyone's got to learn and fail but then get back up and learn from failing at the same time but if you can't even get to that point where you can set yourself up to to find out what it's like well then it's going nowhere are you sort of touching on there's an element of control well definitely i think land councils are huge bureaucracies that control traditional owners but don't necessarily give them the power to make decisions about their own land. Uh, and there is definite element of control going on there. Uh, I think that control is maintained by royalties that are distributed to traditional owners who are the decision, you know, who, who then are, I believe, coerced into making decisions that are favourable to the land councils. And a lot of Aboriginal people have been upset with land councils, but they're a very powerful, well-funded bureaucracy that get to do what they want to do and decisions aren't necessarily being made by traditional owners themselves. I'm out of my jurisdiction. I'll, I'll start with that one. But um, I think what gets highlighted a lot is, you know, things are put out there and, you know, they're sort of suggestive and they sort of paint you sort of to be very controversial. Mm-hmm. I think what's not getting talked about enough is... What are your solutions, practically? Well, I guess I've just spoken about some of them, which is to, you know, to wean Aboriginal people off welfare, you know, ensure that they're armed with the tools like education to be able to make more informed decisions about their lives and understand that, you know, they've got choice. And I think that we, as Aboriginal people, need to, I guess, have honest conversations about what, does work and what doesn't work and make uh, make adaptions to aspects of our culture that can support things like education because you know we can't I don't think we can entirely rely on governments to fix our problems for us because we're the ones that know what's going on in our communities we know what's going on on the ground we know how our 
families behave. So we've got to start making tough decisions for ourselves as well and, and be realistic about it and and not promote this idea that you shouldn't be able to get up, offer a different opinion or a different way forward. And I think that we should question things like decisions that are being made or not being made by land councils on our behalf as traditional owners. I think we should question the tactics bureaucracies like that use to keep us divided, even with families as well. Like we need to take a good hard look at what's been going on for ages and clearly not actually working. I think we're of the understanding that there's, you know, $33 billion that's pumped into trying to advance Indigenous Australians by the taxpayer, but nothing seems to be coming of it. So why is that? You know, uh, the Aboriginal organisations that are funded to improve the lives of Aboriginal people um, are also responsible in all of this as well. You know, do we take a review of what is working and continue to support that and then look at what isn't working and say, well, something needs to change here. I think we've got enough funds. It just needs to be reinvested into areas that are actually working uh, for Aboriginal people. And sometimes there are small programs that are working on the ground, people working very hard and seeing progress and outcomes in some areas. And they're the sorts of programs that the support needs to continue. So there's lots of different ways of moving forward and I think it's a change of thinking that needs to happen as well and and you know let's not let's just let's not expect that someone on the outside is going to fix our problems for us that we need to take the reins and and fix them ourselves and I meant to say what are you doing personally you know I, I think personally well you know professionally because you're you're in hmm. you're in such a great position to really you know implement change and because the big thing I find frustrating is that why aren't we thinking in unity? The thing is, we can't be expected to think in unity. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Is, is There's definitely an expectation that that's the case. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could succeed in thinking in unity or at least put our differences aside for uh, a greater uh, good. But we're also human. And I think the, the problem lies where... We think that we can all think the same together as one homogenous group, but we're not. We're all, we are all, in fact, individuals. And I think uh, our individual right to have difference of opinion needs to be upheld. Um, and we should be respected, you know, as, as individuals because, I mean, working as a group worked for us because we had to rely on each other to survive when we were, you know, living in the desert um, back in the day. And if you didn't do as everyone else was doing for, you know, for whatever reason and, you found yourself, um, you know, well, isolated from the rest of your family, you could very well die in those circumstances. But that's all changed for us at the moment. And, I mean, for me personally, what I am doing and will continue to do is challenge the status quo. Uh, you know, I want to advocate for the ability for us as Aboriginal people to have more civil discussion and debate about matters. And I understand at the same time that a lot of these issues are very sensitive because we're all affected in one way or another. I want to encourage that we don't consider ourselves uh, victims, that we, that we are capable of taking control uh, of our own lives. I mean, for me, on a personal front, I... 
make sure that I support, you know, victims of violence and sexual abuse. I, I directly support those in my family. Um, and I've had, you know, individuals come to me from other families to reach out for support. And I've done whatever I can to ensure that they're provided with the services they need or whether it's, you know, they need me to sit with them personally and, and be there for them. There, there are those sorts of things I've uh, to ensure that I've linked people with with particular services. But if people have asked me, um, I'm looking for a job, you know, and, yeah. and I'll try to see if I can help that individual to find some work. It, it's getting behind each other in, in those sorts of ways, I guess. Um, you know, I'd hope that we could do as uh, Aboriginal people as well. But I want to develop understanding, create understanding. I mean, this idea of reconciliation is, uh, I think, is, is, is a wonderful idea, but I don't think it's being done properly. Um, <laughs> and understanding is the key. So giving someone else a hard time because of the colour of their skin in any for anybody, I don't believe, is the right thing to do. Understanding is what's going to move us forward and... I encourage, you know, relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Uh, I've supported those who have wanted to set up businesses to link them to, you know, private enterprise that want to support Indigenous business. Um, yeah, lots of lots of sorts of different things, and it's about ideas. It's about ideas and bringing those ideas together and seeing how best they can work with one another. Who sort of inspires you, and where do you get support from? as a person, individual? Well, first and foremost, my family uh, inspire me. You know, I've got, I've got a husband who has overcome drug and alcohol addiction and is now 12 years sober. And, you know, he has grown up in circumstances very similar to a lot of our Indigenous family members, but he grew up in Scotland, you know, and, and you know, there's low socioeconomic status. There were people who who found that it was going to prison was safer than being in their communities the same sorts of issues that we're faced he he grew up facing and so he supports me in, incredibly he doesn't always agree with what I say and what husband and wife does <laughs> um you know uh and my my mum of course you know she it, she inspires me incredibly because she grew up she was born under a tree at Yundamu. She grew up in a humpy, you know. English was the third, fourth language to her. She was a victim of domestic violence and became a mother at the age of 14 with my big brother. And then, you know, we lost my big brother. Mm. And she's endured so much. And yet she, when I was a little girl, she finished a university degree. And then, you know, she became a member of parliament. And if she can do that... Anyone can do that. And she's been an incredible source of inspiration for me and an incredible unwavering support through everything that I've been through. And, you know, sometimes she's been really worried for me and really worried for herself and worried for family that if I talk about some of these things, someone might really come after us, whether they try and, you know, do it through sorcery or they try and physically hurt us. And I've had to, I've had to sometimes drag her, kicking and screaming, saying, "No, I have to talk about these things because otherwise, you know, my auntie was stabbed to death. We're not doing her a favour. Otherwise, that young girl who was just raped in our family, we're not doing her a favour." And she's understood how how difficult it's been, and it's been difficult for her too. But 
she she gets it and and so she's incredibly supportive and my my Korea father has been with us all the way has you know stood by us all all the way in our lives you know he's he's you know much like your father was family as well to our Warbury family and knows what it's like and stood by us and so yeah my family has been my number one support and then from there like my my support base has grown incredibly particularly throughout Australia and and with individuals who really want to see uh the lives of aboriginal people improve in this country and who feel helpless to do anything to help as well and and that's the sort of you know support we've got to rally rally together on and i know that people don't agree with what i say and say nasty things but i i don't you know i feel indifferent towards that i know there's people that have that have certainly suffered and hurt people will hurt other people at the same time i just hope we can can overcome that and again, have respectful conversations about it. What do you think is our responsibility as Aboriginal people right now? Our responsibility as Aboriginal people is firstly to ourselves. Um, like any person, I think, our responsibility is, is, is to ourselves firstly. You know, we've got to make sure that we're all right within ourselves before we can help anybody else. Uh, I think we have a responsibility to um, our family and as, as difficult as it is at times, sometimes I think we can find ourselves enabling family who you know, might be abusing substances, who might be committing crimes. We might be enabling them without even realising we're doing that because we think we're trying to help them. I think we have a responsibility to challenge ourselves and some of our thinking as well because if we don't allow ourselves to be challenged we can't we can't as as painful as that can be we can't begin to move forward as as a result and that goes for any human being you know not just for aboriginal people but for any human being and anyone who has overcome adversity substance abuse and that sort of thing will understand that the difficulty of confronting yourself is what has eventually set them free and I think that's where we have to begin before anything else. The thing that really gets me it's how do you inspire and encourage people to have a voice you know Indigenous people especially in the current situation we're going through obviously the Black Lives Matter stuff how do you encourage people to step up you know? I guess in in my situation, it's 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 difficult for many because they don't necessarily, you know, have the confidence because they don't have the support um, behind them in order to do so. But I think the best way to do it is to arm yourself with with the truth, arm yourself with knowledge uh, and and facts, and it doesn't matter which sort of way. The idea is to just step up and speak and have a go and, and 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 put it out there if you like. I mean, prior to you know politics engulfing my life, I was an artist and a performer, and so I did it through music. And so there are many different ways in which you can communicate your story. And you know, music in the arts is one way. Obviously, political activism is another way. Uh, there are ways to be able to reach the rest of the world through social media. 
But, you know, I'd encourage people to read up on things, get information, get the get the right information, get the fact on issues. You know, the more that you can the more that you can take in in terms of facts and, and, and the truth, the better armed you are when you decide to go out, step out, have a go, um, put it out there in whatever way you want to put it out there. The more possibility there is of others taking notice and listening to what you have to say.